Today we will have an episode with Stephanie Kawai and Kat who booked Stephanie's doula service and will explain all about it, um, her experience and I would like to take the occasion right now to let you know that from now I will upload my episodes not twice a month but once to do more research about the needs of um, foreign pregnant women in Japan when you would like to participate um, in my survey um, please click the link below and tell me more about what's difficult for you um, where you would like to have more help and now please enjoy today i have a special episode i'm welcoming for the first time two guests and It's uh, Kat from California, and she lives in Tokyo since 2019, right? Yes. <laughs> and her daughter is just uh, seven weeks old, right? Yep, that's <laughs> And my right. second uh, second guest is Stephanie for the second time now yeah. uh, at the Pregnant in Japan podcast. And Stephanie supported uh, Kat during her birth and uh, was her doula. And for everybody who doesn't know Stephanie, Stephanie um, is a, actually a well-known doula here in Tokyo or even Japan. And she runs the Tokyo Pregnancy Group and the Tokyo Mavas Group. So hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and um, I actually... You, you probably know it both. I asked unconventional question before we start. So I start with you, Stephanie. Um, I know you, when you came to Japan, you were teaching English. Would that be something you would be still doing if you didn't go the path along for a doula? That's such a difficult question to answer because literally until I had my children, had my last child, I was still teaching at a university then. Um, because it was a good job, um, wonderful holidays. And when you've got a family, you know, that definitely is a big, big plus when you do have a lot of holiday time. Um, so out of convenience, probably, probably, yes, I would still be doing that job if I wasn't a doula. But if I had my chance, probably it would be more counseling slash therapy work whether it be a speech therapy or some kind of counseling I'm working on a counseling certification right now um, that would probably mm. be more where my interests lie rather than teaching yeah okay. if I weren't to do that but yeah. doula of course as you know do it's my it, passion yeah so, that's yeah. your passion <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just curious about that so. yeah <laughs> and Kat um While you were pregnant uh, in Japan, was there something in particular that you were carving for that you couldn't get here? Craving. Um, yeah, I, I thought that there would be, like I thought it would be like hot Cheetos in America or something like that, or like Reese's peanut butter, something, pickles. But I actually, instead of craving things, I had food aversion, which I did not expect because I'm like such a foodie normally and I just eat everything but um but yeah but no cravings just food aversion so like things that I normally loved like fried foods and curry I, I like couldn't even look at it so that was a surprise to me okay good <laughs> I know um uh, when I was pregnant here I was um I actually pronounced it wrong I just noticed how do you say when you miss something really <laughs> a food Like you're craving something? Craving, yeah, craving. Yeah. I was yeah. really craving for that Polish food. Stephanie, you probably know it. Barsht, oh, like barsht. Yeah. And pierogi, it's like a root pea uh, soup. And uh, it's like you oh. basically can't get it here. <laughs> do you normally when, eat that or do you normally no, crave that when you're not pregnant? <laughs> not that much. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm very curious about um, how your um, 
um, how your path went together. Cat, um, can you tell us? Oh no, sorry, I forgot. Before we start, we we said we're gonna talk about Stephanie's doula service, but then I thought maybe not everybody knows what a doula is and what she does. So Stephanie, could you please explain? <laughs> I'll try to explain it in the shortest way possible because I think as both of you know, I could literally talk for about five hours without stopping about doula support. So I won't talk for five hours. But basically, a doula is a non-medical professional um, who supports women and their partners during pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum period, providing information, um, education, emotional support, and the practical tools needed to help them have a smoother experience, a more informed experience throughout the process from birth to baby or pregnancy to baby. Okay. Yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> And you have been doing this, right? Uh, being a doula in Tokyo since how many years now? Uh, my first client was back in 2015. Um, she had her baby in July. So it will be seven years seven now. Years. I started doing doula work in 2014, but my first birth, no, tell a lie. My gosh, I'm getting all confused. My first birth was 2014. And then that was July, 2014. See the time just disappears, doesn't it? And then when my youngest son started daycare in 2015, that's when I started working as fully as possible. So 2014 to 2015, it was a little bit um, less active. But yeah, my first birth was 2014. Mm. A lot of births since then. Huh? A lot of uh, pregnant so women from, from all over the world, I assume. So many. Yeah, no, I've, I counted a while back, um, a couple of years ago, or more than maybe about three years ago, how many nationalities of clients I'd worked with. And at that point, it was like something like 50 different Ooh. nationalities. Wow. And yeah, so probably a few more now. Um, and yeah, I've supported well over 200 births now and countless others, you know, not just birth support, but others, you know, with just pregnancy support or just postpartum support, probably, probably almost a thousand, I would say. Mm. Yeah, yeah, lot, <laughs> lot, lot. Yeah, and today we have uh, even a guest who can talk about it. <laughs> so, Kat, I, I was starting my question. <clears throat> can you share with us your story? Um, how long have you been in Japan when you got pregnant? Did you speak Japanese at that point? Um, yeah, how was your pregnancy? How did your path started? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so my husband and I moved to Tokyo in the summer of 2019, and I found out I was pregnant with my first baby last May. Um, and the funny story with that is actually I was going to acupuncture. Um, shout out Edward in Sangajaya, he's great. <laughs> um, but I was going to acupuncture just to like balance out my hormones and regulate my cycle. And my acupuncturist like suspected that I was pregnant just based on my pulse. And I was like, no way. I was like, no, you're kidding. And I took a test a few days later and sure enough, I was, it was, I was pregnant and it was positive. Um, and when I tested positive, I think I was only about like three or four weeks. Because when I went to the doctor a week later, we couldn't see anything, like maybe a sack. But even then I was like, are you sure it's not like a cyst or something? And the doctor was like, I don't know. You <laughs> just come back in two weeks. Um, and so... Yeah, it, it was such a long period of uncertainty and disbelief. Um, so, I mean, I don't recommend finding out that early. I think it had just happened and my acupuncturist kind of like put the idea in my head and I was like, maybe I should take a test. Um, so that's kind of a funny story. And then, yeah, my pregnancy was pretty smooth. I think I have my husband, I'm not fluent in Japan, but my husband is fluent, even though we're both from California, we're both Americans, but he had been studying Japanese. So luckily he was able to attend all my checkups with me. Um, and like the funny thing about being pregnant in Japan, that's unusual, I think coming from America is you have to find your birthplace pretty early, like in the first trimester usually, like people are already thinking about where they're going to give birth. And I was still in my denial phase. At that point, I did not think that you know, I was actually pregnant. I even ordered pregnancy tests from America to be like, let me make sure that I 
am reading the instructions correctly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I joined the Facebook group and I asked about um, some clinics that I was thinking about. And yeah, Stephanie was one of the people who responded in the Facebook group. And I ended up doing a consultation with her to find um, my ideal clinic because a lot of places here weren't ticking the boxes that I had in mind. So such as like immediate skin to skin and delayed cord clamping and um, no episiotomy. And so all these things that I wanted, but the most important thing was that my husband could be there. And because of coronavirus, mm -hmm. there are a lot of restrictions. And so a lot of the clinics were restricting um, partners and husbands, you know, during labor and after labor, or even during the delivery. So we had a consultation with Stephanie and she recommended a couple different places, but the one that ticked off all of our boxes was um, the Birth and Ladies Clinic, Sola, Yokohama. Um, and so, yeah, my husband and I visited Sola and it was exactly kind of what I had in mind. The aesthetic of it wasn't hospital-like at all, which I really liked. It was very woman first. It, they basically, all of the things that I wanted on my checklist was just a given. I didn't even really have to request it. It was just like, yeah, of course, <laughs> we do that anyway. You don't even need to ask. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so once we figured that out, my pregnancy was pretty smooth. Um, most of the time I felt like myself. Um, and then, yeah. And then I gave birth at the end of January and Stephanie was of course there and it was a long, long, long birth experience, but still a very positive one. Most important probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So that's how you got to know Stephanie uh, in one of the groups, right? Or Tokyo Pregnancy Group probably. And then right. you um, booked a... So this is one thing you do, you offer to Stephanie, like a consultation for the hospitals or facilities, let's say. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I do all different kinds of individual services outside of my package support. But yeah, that's one of the one of the services that I offer. It's kind of a consultation, a discussion about different birth options, depending on different preferences. Everyone has different ideas about what they want for their labor in an ideal situation. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But this this is apart from the doula service, right? This is yes, yes, yes. Okay. And so, at what time, Kat, did you decide you wanna have Stephanie as a doula? You want support, <laughs> or yeah. what made you decide it? I mean, I feel like I always kind of wanted to have a doula, and I knew it wasn't really that common here. Um, and because we had a pretty good consultation, and she kind of, once we visited the birth clinic, Sola. Um, we were kind of like, oh, she nailed it. <laughs> you know, this was like exactly what we were looking for. And I talked to my husband about like, well, how would you feel about hiring a doula and hiring Stephanie? And I think we just felt really comfortable because she totally understood exactly what we were looking for. Um, and so it was pretty immediate. We were like, okay, yeah, <laughs> um, let's start this process. And I think we started meeting in October or something like that, like when I was about six months along. Um, so we started doing um, like pregnancy checkups or visits, home visits. Um, and so her normal birthing classes were kind of integrated into that. And also whatever I wanted to talk about, if I had questions or whatever I wanted to practice, we would also build that into her home visits. Um, yeah. Okay, one more time. Sorry, I didn't get it. What was integrated? Like her um, other birthing courses, like the breathing course that she normally offers. And we did um, positions, one visit. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure what the other topics were. It was like a lot of practicing for the actual birth. Okay, so so this was like a one-on-one um, one -on -one or in a group then still? or. <laughs> Yeah, she came to our home um, here in Saragaya and mm. she worked with my husband and I privately. Ah, oh, good. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, and uh, I'm also cu curious about the um, clinic you mentioned. Um, 
because Kat, you just said um, Stephanie nailed it. So, what, what, what uh, is there anything special about the clinic? That's actually what I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Sola is so special. <laughs> um, oh, how is it compared yeah. to the other hospitals? Oh, both of your views, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think Stephanie can speak more about Sola, um, but I mean, from my experience, it's just even just the facility itself is beautiful um, and it's a home-like environment. So the room that they set you up in that you can labor in, deliver in, um, it's like a bedroom, basically. It's, like, it's almost like you're delivering at home. Um, and it's a Western style room. They offer a water birth, which I was lucky enough to do. Um, and nice. they allowed my husband to be there and support me. I, I don't think my original doctor didn't even allow my husband to come join me, but um, Sola did. And a big part of it was like that language support, but also um, I think they just really put the woman first, you know, with whatever they need. Um, And like I mentioned earlier, everything that I wanted to do that isn't so common here, oddly enough, that I was kind of like, oh, these things should be a no brainer because they're backed by research and they show that, you know, there are a lot of benefits to doing them, like the delayed cord clamping, as an example. Um, we got a lot of resistance when we called certain clinics and asked them about it. And a lot of them kind of gave excuses around, oh, well, you know, we won't do an episiotomy, but we might do one. Um, so there are things that just kind of didn't sit right with what I wanted and what I kind of had as my vision um, for my ideal birth. Um, and I felt really supported by Sola to try to achieve that. I mean, you can never guarantee that it's going to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. But I think to have a team that supports you to try to achieve what you want to achieve, um, I think that's priceless and that's how all birthing experiences should be. And so I was lucky to have my birth team made up of, you know, my husband and the midwives at Sola and Stephanie. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Sola, I, I would definitely give her there again in a heartbeat. Mm. Uh, Stephanie, you are nodding. So it seems like you had some other clients um, who were who had a happy birth experience there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've had yeah, quite a few clients, um, especially over the past couple of years with everything that's happened with the coronavirus, but quite a few clients have had babies there in the past two years because there are no restrictions. You can have complete birth support, whether it's from a husband, a doula, both a husband and a doula or another partner. Um, or, you know, mother who's visiting from overseas, if you're lucky enough to have that person come over. Um, other children can be there in labor as well, if, if you want them to be. Um, as Kat mentioned, it's very woman first. And I think this is the difference between places like Sola versus your typical um, hospital. So just to explain about Sola, um, it's a little bit of a unique um, facility. It operates as a midwife only facility for the labor side of things, but there is a doctor for the prenatal checkups. So um, you can go to the same place for the whole pregnancy um, and get to know the the midwives very well that will be delivering your baby, but also you don't have to go somewhere different for your prenatals. Whereas with other birth houses, Josanin, um, which are midwife-run facilities in Japan, often you have to go to a different doctor mm -hmm. for the necessary doctor checks that you may need to have. So this is kind of all in one for that, but mm -hmm. it operates as a midwife-only birth facility for the labor itself. So there really are no restrictions on what a woman can do. There's no kind of um, expectation that a woman has to be in a certain way or position herself self in a certain way for the delivery which can be the case in many many hospitals because it operates as a midwife only facility for the birth as well there literally will be no interventions they will not do episiotomies 
um, they won't use vacuum, they won't use forceps, all of those big scary things that women, you know, for the most part, absolutely don't want as far as possible. So that is kind of not on the table to begin with. So that being said, you do have to be very low risk, what would be considered low risk on paper to even be considered um, eligible for a birth there. But if all of those boxes are ticked, those kind of places can be absolutely wonderful to have your baby in. And I know yourself, Vicky, you also had a midwife only birth yeah. experience. So, you know, you kind of also have the idea of how more supportive that can be um, than a larger hospital, even a smaller hospital where there will be some restrictions in place. I mean, of course, hospitals can work really well for other people as well. And there are definitely lots of hospitals in Tokyo and Japan that are also wonderful, wonderful places. But everyone's preferences are different. And I think, right. you know, really finding the place that suits you personally is so important. Mm. And yeah, I'm really glad to hear that for Kat, she just felt so immediately comfortable with with Sola, it's just great to hear. Yeah, and I think like my only hesitation, I think Stephanie remembers is that, yeah, because they're a midwife run facility, they don't offer epidurals. And I think that was like my one barrier. <laughs> I was, cause in my mind I was like, ooh, I'd really like the option to have an epidural. Um, and so I think that was the thing that, I, the mental block that I had to kind of get over, but obviously, all the other things they offered trumped the epidural, but I like to hold it over my husband to be like, I chose you over the epidural. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, if, if women are kind of hesitant about that, I think speaking with the midwives, speaking with, you know, Stephanie really gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I can actually choose a facility like that and do it without an epidural. Um, but yeah, but I think that was like kind of the only kind of scary part because you you think oh I want that as an option oh it would be nice to have an uh, a NICU available or something like that and so they really reassure you that there is a plan in case you know knock on wood something goes wrong they ha they have a plan to transfer you very quickly and you could be at a nearby hospital within five minutes and so those um, things really eased my fears I think and made me more comfortable to plan a birth at a facility like that so yeah uh, Stephanie from your experience does it ha happen often that women um, want at first they want an epidural but then <laughs> they kind of change their mind or um, go with a idea of a birth house or like a solar clinic where it's not an option but they still do it <laughs> Oh, that's, yeah, everyone is so different with that. Um, I mean, I've had clients who from the very beginning have been very clear that, you know, epidural is their priority and that's how they want to choose their birth facility. Others who, you know, are a little bit more on the fence about it and maybe persuaded to choose a facility that doesn't offer epidural as Kat did if it has many other things that fall in line with their preferences and others who go in with it with the mindset, no, you know what, I really want to give it a go without and choose a facility that don't have it as an option because then, well, you have no choice in that matter and you do just have to get on with things. And of course, I mean, we've been birthing for, you know, the whole of human history until very, very recently without epidural. So of course we can all do it without, but it's that mental thing. And as Kat mm -hmm. said, you know, she had to get over that mental block. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everyone's preference is their own and everyone's preferences are equally valid. So you just really have to be comfortable with the choices that you make and the facility that you pick. And I think if you do feel fully comfortable with whatever facility you pick, that does make such a huge difference. And I think for your listeners as well, Vicky, um, as they've probably heard through your podcasts over the, the past year now, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, you also went through... A process of considering quite a few different places before you settled on the mm. one that really did feel that it gave you the most confidence all right yeah it was yeah. a long path for me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Um, yeah, now I have to think about 2020. What a crazy year. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. April, uh, April, it was April. And I, I remember it like yesterday because um, <clears throat> it's in the restrictions changed it, changed it, changed, sorry, <laughs> like April 7th or 8th. Uh, like Aiko started uh, with the restrictions uh, to not allow husbands anymore. And um, I, I was uh, on Ishigaki and I remember writing you an email, Stephanie, <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> yeah, that was um, a bit scary. <clears throat> yeah, but now we, we got kind of used to it a little bit. But for some, yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, yeah, it's yeah funny when you say that we've got kind of used to it because like probably you remember as well, but back in 2020, there was so much rage, well, amongst the English-speaking community. Mm -hmm. There was so much rage about all of these restrictions. And yeah, it's kind of, we've all kind of somewhat become resigned to the fact that it is what it is. And, you know, shogunai, to use a Japanese word, um, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And It's really, it's really frustrating. Um, yeah, it's really frustrating that in many places restrictions still exist in Japan for birth support. It's, it's a human rights issue. I mean, it's said that a woman has the right to a birth companion or companions of her choosing, even mm -hmm. under coronavirus. But yeah, again, that's another thing I could talk for five yeah. hours about. <laughs> yeah. But it brings me back uh, to one of the questions I had um, for you, uh, Stephanie, because <clears throat> of this corona situation, you um, offer now also your doula service online, right? But mm, with mm, CAT, mm. it was in uh, in person. Solar Clinic was, uh, <laughs> yeah, was qu uh, quite flexible, but you all do all the same, more or less, but... Uh, via WhatsApp or Zoom or, no, probably not Zoom, huh? by, by, by phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, so there are a few, a few clinics, a few hospitals that do still allow me in attendance as a doula. Few and far between, but they do exist. And again, recently over the past month and a bit, I've had a few clients change hospitals to more flexible places that allow me, that allow husbands because of increased restrictions with the Omicron variant. But for anyone that is in a facility that, or staying in a facility that doesn't allow either husbands or doulas, then if they want my doula support um, for the birth portion, yes, it can be um, virtual. So yeah, it's basically phone calls, video calls, text messaging as and when needed by the client or the client's partner um, whenever they need it. Um, often I'm the one sending messages, how things are going, phone calling or you know video calling, just to make sure everyone's okay. The only thing that I can't do in Uh, virtually that I can do in person obviously is any kind of back rub counter pressure so if the the woman happens to be able to have her partner there at least for a little bit of labor then that's great I can instruct them on perhaps things they can do to keep the woman more comfortable if they can't have anyone there at all then often it's kind of encouraging the woman to stay at home a little bit longer. Um, I think as Kat knows as well, um, the timing of when to go to hospital or a clinic is a bit of a tricky one. It's still a bit of a guessing game um, as to when the best timing is. No one wants to go too soon, but then people are scared about going too late. You know, that thought of, but what if I give birth in the car is maybe at the back of most people's minds rarely happens. But yeah, um, so giving people the encouragement um, and confidence just to stay at home that little bit longer, um, giving them ideas of things to look out for and helping them navigate the, the tricky area of when to, when to go to hospital so that they can stay at home with their support people um, as long as possible. Kat, another question for you. What is something that you appreciated the most um, uh, when having Stephanie as a doula? Were there some moments you were like, oh, thank God. Oh <laughs> Probably my gosh. A, a so lot. many moments. <laughs> well, my, my labor lasted 34 and a half hours. <laughs> so Stephanie was there for us 
on the on the phone first um, while I was laboring at home, and I, I wasn't even sure that I was in labor at first. I woke up really early in the morning, around four in the morning, and I just thought I had a stomach ache or something. And it took me a while to realize that I was in labor. And so we were in contact with Stephanie kind of all morning, and um, we we even I think Facetime with you, um, so you could kind of see yeah how I was doing. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you did help us figure out the timing of when to go and like when I felt comfortable and ready to go to the clinic. And by the time I got to the clinic, I think it was around noon and I was already like four or five centimeters dilated. And then Stephanie arrived probably about like an hour later. Mm. And so I had her as my coach along with my husband and the midwives, of course. Um, for the, I mean, the next, <laughs> however many, 24 the, the, hours. Yeah, the next 24 hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so it, it was kind of funny because I actually, I think by 4 p.m. Had, the midwife told me I was already at like 10 centimeters. So Stephanie was like, oh, but dinner time, you're going to have this. We were all thinking, we were all thinking that. I think the midwives are thinking that as well. We were all right, thinking yeah. that. And, and I didn't. <laughs> I ended up like, trying to push this baby out for 22 more hours and so um yeah it was just I needed a lot of support obviously throughout that time and um yeah I, I think a lot of it was a lot of pushing me into positions especially during that time where I felt like things were stalling and my baby basically decided she didn't want to come out after all and so Stephanie really pushed me gently pushed me to try different positions that I was like very stubborn and didn't want to do I was like no it's too intense and she was like it needs to be intense um so I th thought that was really helpful because I think my husband was too scared to tell me what to do at that point so we needed somebody to really like tell me what to do um and then also the other moments I know my husband really appreciated this is she would encourage my husband to take breaks and to hydrate and to eat something and he kind of didn't want to leave my side but I think as soon as he did for like a few minutes and came back he had like renewed spirit and energy so that he was able to coach me and help me a little bit better um and then yeah I think like whenever I felt like I couldn't do something she would reassure me Obviously, during those like 22 hours, I was kind of like oscillating between like, I can do this. And I'm like, I can't do this. And so she was there along with my husband to reassure me. Because I think, you know, when my husband's reassuring me, I was telling him like, you don't know. First of all, you're a man. Second of all, you've never been through this. And so I thought it helped that, you know, Stephanie was there because she had been through it. And she was like, this is normal. This is this is what's happening is supposed to be happening. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. That, that is reassuring. And that's powerful um but yeah but I think the most important thing was like keeping my morale up um because it just was wavering a bit and um I think the mindset is like the most important thing to get through labor because you know a part of me was like I can't do this for 12 more hours and then 12 hours would pass by and be like well I can't do this for another 12 <laughs> hours and then lo and behold I would have to do it um and then another thing that I thought was really special was she helped the baby latch on um, for breastfeeding the, for the first time. And so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that that really, I, I don't think, I think I was like in the daze because I didn't even think about it. I, I was just like holding the baby and she's like, you wanna try latching? And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot that that's the thing. Um, yeah, and I mean, I tried every single position um, to try to get my baby to crown. And I think she was there the whole time, like up close and personal, trying to help me and coach me and make sure I was comfortable. And, and yeah, I mean, there were so many moments, I mean, mm -hmm. 34 hours worth of moments here and there. It's, it, I'm sure Stephanie has a better memory of it than <laughs> I do. It's kind of all a blur now at this point. No, that sounds about right. And I do remember as well, like with the positions things, like as well as me giving suggestions, the midwives. So the midwives at Sola, I'm the very, very hands-on when it comes to labor. And, you know, in, in certain hospitals, midwives can be very hands-on in other places. Maybe they're, they're a lot less hands-on, a little bit more clinical with their approach. But yeah, in Sola, um, because literally that's what they're there for. They're very, very hands-on. And so they had you doing all kinds of contortions as well. 
Yeah, I remember yeah, this. <laughs> yeah. I was doing like spinning baby moves. Yeah, I did yeah, yeah. Stairs. I did squats. I did lunges. I did the active chair. I was in and out of the bath. Um, and normally they want you to get into the bath in the last hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we didn't know what that was going to be for me. And so I was in and out of the bath. And they usually don't do that. And they were really accommodating. And so yeah. my team just kind of had to follow me around. And I was like up and down the stairs, walking down the hallways. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was an adventure. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well, like they never made you feel, I think they never made you feel like, okay, we've got to speed this thing up now. We've got to rush. I mean, right. you know, there yeah. came a point perhaps where, where where they were thinking about how to make things go a bit faster, but never at any point I think did you feel pressured like oh gosh if baby doesn't come now then what's going to happen you know it was given the time that it needed to take yeah I I I agree with that I think you know I I don't imagine that there's any other place that would have let me push for 22 hours without you know doing something probably by hour four or by hour Mm. five um and so the fact that I was able to go 22 hours I mean they were monitoring my baby the whole time they were checking me we were all good and so they were like keep going I think by hour 20 um that's when the Pitocin idea was suggested to me I think they probably would have suggested it earlier maybe it was like the doctor wasn't in or something like that I'm not sure it was kind of all a blur at this point but yeah no that's correct that's correct yeah yeah that's what my husband said um so so yeah I I'm so glad that, you know, I didn't have to transfer anywhere to get that Pitocin, like that, that they were able to give that to me because at that point, um, it just made my contractions stack a little bit more so that baby would stop bobbing up and down the birth canal and would yeah. just actually like come out of it. And so that was actually one thing that they could do at Sola that really helped me, um, and I didn't need to transfer anything like that, but they did wait for the doctor um, to come in and I had to basically get the okay from the doctor and yeah, so. Yeah, and I think that goes to the unique part about how Sola operates, um, even though it's a midwife only facility for births and typically they don't do interventions, as I mentioned, like episiotomy, vacuum, forceps, all of that that if something like Pitocin is needed, once the doctor is there, if it's really needed, that is an intervention they can do. So um, unlike maybe other midwife-only birth facilities, yeah, they can do things like an induction. So there there Mm. is actually like a doctor next door or how they call it? The floor above, the floor above, connected to the clinic. So he's called when there's a specific question. Um, so she, yeah, well, so all of your checkups are on the third floor and you switch between a midwife appointment and a doctor appointment. No, I mean um, now during checkup. during labor, uh, during labor. Right. And yeah, so whenever, just, yeah, they can just pop in. It's all like part of the same mm. facility. So um the the birthing floor is like the second floor and so I think you know the midwives work both floors and so their shifts they just go between them and then the doctor was able to pop into the second floor into my room and explain the Pitocin and I was like yep do it (laughs) because yeah because I wasn't opposed to you know Pitocin I wasn't opposed to an epidural it's just like the circumstances around it landed me at Tola and I mean, I was just happy that they even offered that to help me progress along because I think, you know, otherwise I would have had to have been transferred. And I think Stephanie probably remembers me like the one time that I almost started to panic was when I was like, if I get transferred, if this doesn't happen on my own and I get transferred, I'm not going to be separated from my husband. (laughs) Like, can he come with me? And so that restrictiveness, you know, the restrictions in other places is still, that was my anxiety more than anything happening at Sola, but yeah. And actually of all my experiences in Sola, um, the doctor has pretty much never been involved because the doctor really is not part of, in Sola, the doctor really is not part of the birth process unless very particular interventions like Pitocin is needed. Um, And that's literally just a sign off. So the doctor will have, apart from that, the doctor will have nothing more to do with the birth process, yeah. And 
even with the Pitocin, um, Kat was still able to have her water birth, where any other facility um, in a typical hospital or a typical clinic with a doctor, um, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be possible if they did offer water birth, but with an IV attached to you that they'd let you get in the water. But in Sola, they still were very open to, to allowing that. And clearly it worked out really well. Oh, very unique, huh? Very unique, mm. yeah. And yeah, Sola has only been operating now for, I think, four years, maybe four years exactly. Um, yeah, as of this spring, mm. I think, yeah. Okay. So um, as a doula, Stephanie, do you, so cat's, la cat, uh, cat's labor was a little bit longer. Do you usually stay then basically the whole time the woman arrives at the hospital or at the facility? Would you stay all the time? Or Pretty much, yeah. I mean, unless circumstances mean that either I get told to go home or it just really is too, too early. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, basically, um, as it was with cat's labor, um, pre-pandemic, yeah, I'd be in some labors for two days, um, other labors for two hours or 20 minutes. It really depends how quick or, or slow a labor goes. But yeah, basically, mm -hmm. that's it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not, it can yeah. be a long shift too for you, right? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's a good I got snacks, my worth. <laughs> granola right, yeah. bars. <laughs> it, was a, it was a bargain. It was a good deal for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And how long do you say after birth? Approximately two hours, give or take. Mm. Yeah. So usually the two hours after birth in any facility are considered the the immediate recovery time, where basically the midwives on duty make sure that you know everyone, baby and you know mum, are healthy. There are no postpartum complications in that two hour window, um, and so that's when I stay. It's a good chance for those that hope to breastfeed to you know have baby latch on during that mm. timing as well if the baby is showing signs of readiness to want to latch which they usually do within the first hour or two mm. before they fall into a very deep recovery sleep yeah yeah okay so yeah and that's really sweet as well being there for that first first couple of hours obviously not wanting to impose myself too much because it's not my postpartum time with my baby even though I you know I kind of really want to be like I really want to be involved, but, you know, kind of just being there for what the couple needs me to be there for, what the woman needs me to be there for, and otherwise just kind of sitting back and allowing them to revel in what's okay. just happened. Yeah. A uh, very practical question. If a labor lasts 36 hours, do you need to sleep? <laughs> Do you need to sleep sometimes? Don't you feel tired? Oh, yeah, no, of course. I mean, we're all only human, right? So um, like me and Kat's husband, we were, you know, during the middle of the night, you know, dozing off. It's just oh, there was Kat. there's like yeah, yeah, room yeah. to do that. Right? Uh, no, yeah. no, we were just on the floor. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. the, yeah, because I mean, my room at Zola is a bedroom, basically. And so I would be doing something and trying stairs or sitting somewhere else and they would kind of uh, I mean after 34 hours you'd want to take at least like a quick cat nap or something like that and so I think that was the nice part about having a, another support person too because they could really trade off um, mm -hmm. in supporting me and so as long as I had someone there I felt safe and felt supported um, but again I also wanted my husband to get breaks because you know after labor I was like it's gonna be on you <laughs> um so I wanted him to kind of have enough energy to help take care of the baby afterwards while I recovered um so that was really important and so yeah and the midwives were in and out and they at some point you know at many points they would give me space to kind of do it do things on my own and try to progress labor on my own because there's not so much that they have to be hands-on with at the time um, or all the time. But, uh, but yeah, but I, I also wasn't sure if that was normal. I remember asking someone and be like, why are they here? Um, and so, yeah, I, I was glad to have Stephanie there to kind of relieve my husband at some point and he could take like a cat nap or, you know, eat a little bit, but yeah. Nice. Um, I have two actually more questions for you, Stephanie. Um, I was thinking because uh, Katz uh, explained how 
you helped after birth um, to latch the baby. Uh, and also during um, the labor, um, it sounded like you are there all the time, guiding, giving instruction, ideas on position. How do you cooperate uh, like with the other midwives? Oh, In so Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they've really been really welcoming. Um, the very first labor that I was at, I wasn't sure what to expect there. Um, my client had said, you know, can I bring a doula? And they were like, yeah, sure. We'd love to meet her. And from that point on, they were really, really welcoming. And obviously, I've like recommended Sola to a number of people um, that I think... I, th I think they've been really happy to hear that as well, that, that I feel that, that they're worthy of recommendation. They, genu they genuinely are. Um, no, they've been really welcoming of having me there. Um, yeah, I've just never, never felt uncomfortable. And I mean, it's not like they're talking to me like I'm their best friend or we're having chats or anything like that, because also being in a labor, that's not the place for that, but just very, very friendly. And if there is something that they kind of want to communicate maybe a little bit more clearly, but the language isn't there, I know about the labor process and the birth process that so I can kind of fill in, fill in the gaps that way and kind of give perhaps a more fuller explanation about what's going on, if something is going on. Yeah. Mm, okay. And um, my other question is... Uh, Do you have your cell phone all the time on? Because I imagine um, a lot of women call you at night <laughs> and you don't know when exactly it's going to be, right? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, birth can take you by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's pretty much always on. It's never turned off. It's always right by my bed within mm. arm's reach. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh. So doula work, especially birth work, the birth side of doula work is, is not for the faint of heart. If you want a predictable life, it's not for you um, because, yeah, you never know when it's going to happen. And if you want predictable hours, it's not for you. Um, yeah, sometimes you might have to drop everything at a second's notice to disappear for maybe a day, maybe two days. Who knows? Could just be a couple of hours. Um, and I'm really fortunate that my own husband, um, was around, especially when my children were a lot younger than they are now in the early days of my doula work that at that time he was working for himself. He was at home a lot. So I didn't have to worry about like, who's going to collect my youngest from daycare or who's going to be around for dinner and all that side of things. Now they're a lot older. My oldest one's 14 and a half. So He's basically new mini daddy and the other two do not like that at all. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot easier when they get older. But yeah, there's a lot of juggling when it comes to doula work. Um, so it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> also, um, yeah, I, I just I, I myself, I'm a person who needs a lot of sleep. So I'm just thinking about a phone ringing at night. <laughs> It would probably drive me crazy. <laughs> But yeah, that's a, that's a funny thing, though. Yeah, I've no I don't feel that I'm short of sleep at all. I mean, I've got three kids. You know, I'm well conditioned through having had three babies to not sleeping long periods of time anyway. It's like kind of going through through um, special forces training, isn't it? Like if you're in the military, kind of once you're conditioned into it, your body can handle it. Um, but yeah, and I get, I get the rest where I can. You know, it's not like I'm in labors every single day. Of course, when I'm not in labors, I do a lot of other doula work, you know, home visits, postpartum support, et cetera. But because I work for myself, I also have some flexibility in how I arrange my schedule. So I do get some time to myself. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yes. Very important too. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. We got uh, covered quite a lot. <laughs> But I still have one last question and this for you, Kat. Um, If you had another baby in Japan, um, would be would be uh, would be there something that you then uh, would be uh, doing different? Another baby in Japan? <laughs> no, I. I mean, the one thing that I would do differently that's not anything to do with me being in Japan is that I would have tried to eat more <laughs> during labor because um, I couldn't eat, didn't want to eat. Everyone was trying to pressure me to eat. I was like, no. 
Um, and so I think, you know, I really needed the fuel, um, but that has nothing to do with <laughs> being Japan. Um, no, I think, you know, I picked the right clinic for me based on what I needed. I built the birth team that I needed. Um, you know, my partner got to be with me the whole time. We had doula, a doula, Stephanie, to support both my husband and me um, throughout, even, you know, during pregnancy, during the labor, and then even postpartum. And yeah, and then the midwives at Sola were fantastic. And so I think even though it was such a long, unpredictable <laughs> labor, and it, it was, it was, still such a positive experience and I remember that I was able to keep this positive mindset throughout and I really think that's because I had this birth team that had my best interests in mind and they weren't you know trying to do what was convenient for them obviously like they never made me feel like I was a burden or you know I had to do things to speed things up I remember I felt bad I was like I'm so sorry <laughs> um, but yeah I think that was kind of the key in me looking back and thinking of it as such a positive experience was having this birth team. And so I don't think I would have done anything differently aside from just, you know, my own behavior of like, just not fueling myself enough. Um, I think that probably would have made a difference in, you know, making things progress for my body. But as far as the support that I had, I think I would 100% do everything pretty much the same way. Wow. That's a pretty positive summary, I would say. Pretty. I know uh, people. People are positive birth like, story. Yeah. After 34 hours, yeah. how can you <laughs> say it was positive? But yeah, it really was. I, you know, I remember like I wasn't sure if I was gonna. I, I remember during one of um, the pregnancy home visits, I was telling something. I'm like, I have no idea how I'll be. If I'll be a screamer, if I'll be really rude, <laughs> like if I'll be really quiet and calm. I have no idea. Um, and then looking back, I felt like I was still pretty positive throughout. And I think, you know, I was telling myself these affirmations that I'm usually not one to do things like that. But I remember, you know, telling myself things that Stephanie had kind of instilled in us during her home visits, which is like, you know, your body isn't doing anything to damage um, itself and doing what it's supposed to be doing. And it's an intense experience, but you're not suffering. You know, you should, there shouldn't be any suffering. And so I remember I would say that to myself over and over and be like, I'm not suffering. I'm not suffering. It's intense, but I'm not suffering. And so I think just like those things really shape the experience for me. Um, so yeah, I think even after 34 hours, still pretty positive. <laughs> Maybe you choose the it to be so long because it was positive for you anyways <laughs> uh, <laughs> was your choice. Yeah, I mean, if i had control i would change maybe the length if i had it like a little a, bit maybe by 6 p.m by dinner time oh mm. it would have been mm. the perfect birth mm. well thank you so much huh? <laughs> it was really great to hear your your story, your common story, your common path and how uh, Stephanie supported Kat and how everything went so well for Kat, even after this long time. <laughs> nice. Oh, I really appreciate uh, your time <laughs> and sharing your story, your experience. And I'm very grateful. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Vicky. It's been great to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend then, everyone. <laughs>